Broadcasting from deep in the Eublifaris galaxy, on a small planet called Gekonia, east of the albino hills and south of the raging leucistic river, comes the one, the only, Gecko Nation Radio. That's right, folks. The one, the only, Gecko Nation Radio. It is awesome to be with you tonight, Sunday, August 17th, 2014. Uh, for tonight's show, I have a very special co-host, actually, the person that put this show together for us tonight, and that's Mr. Tim Walton from Slice of the Jungle. Tim, you're live on Gecko Nation Radio. What's going on, Dave? It's going to be a good show. Yeah, this is, this. let me tell you, New Zealand green geckos is the holy grail of geckos for a lot of us keepers, and there is something about the way these guys look, and oh my God, I mean, they're greener than a, than a Madagascar day gecko. They're cooler looking than a leopard gecko. Jeez, um, what else can I say? Well, what do you, how do you they're feel so- about them? They're so different, and then also um, everything about them is so different. And I think it's one of those, they have the look that when people see pictures of them, I think everybody says, oh, I want one of those. And then you do a quick (laughs) search and you realize uh, you're not getting one of those. But but uh, our our guest tonight um, does have them and work with them, and um, we'll get to... uh, hear about his experiences, and it'll be a great show. Yeah, absolutely. I want to uh, thank you also on the air, too, for putting this together for us last minute. Uh, it's really good, cool of you, Tim. Thank you. I'm, uh, I'm glad it's coming together. All right, cool. All right, folks, listen. Uh, Declination Radio, number one, would not be possible without all of you listeners. You guys are awesome. Everybody that's filling up the chat room, let's see who we got. Tonight we have Yvonne, Steve, Soft Kitty, Rachel, Mike, Elsa, Brooke. We have a guest, and we'll, I'm sure we'll have more as the show progresses. Uh, thank you, folks. Uh, also, of course, the show would not be possible without our amazing sponsors. Check them out. These plugs are sincere. These people really are the best at what they do. Gecko Nation Radio is a David's Fine Gecko's creation and production. You can visit the show's Facebook page at Gecko Nation Radio. I also have a great family-friendly group on Facebook called Gecko Nation. Apply for membership today. Gecko Nation Radio is sponsored by... Reptiles Express is the absolute best live animal shipping company with great low rates. Debbie is the queen of customer service and will make sure your precious cargo gets to where it needs to. They also have a wide array of shipping supplies from deli cups, snake bags, heat packs, and more. Visit reptilesexpress.com and become a member today. Longhorn Geckos is a father and son collaboration. Daryl and Kate Burton specialize in the best supertangelos, pastel raptors, white and yellows, and really nice wild types. Follow them on Facebook at Longhorn Geckos and on their new website coming soon. Ohio Gecko is famous for amazing tangerines, snows, and other very unique leopard gecko projects. Thad also has some incredible fat tail morphs available from stingers to starbursts. 
visit him online at ohiogecko.com and at Expos in the Northeast. He is also the owner of geckoforums.net. Dale's Bearded Dragons is your one-stop source for any reptile supply products that you may need, from Exoterra, Zoomed, Rapashi, Repcal, Fluker, and much, much more, and all at 20 to 50% cheaper than your local pet store or big chain pet store. They are also the biggest reptile supply distributor at most of the Northeast Expos. Contact them directly online at dalesbeardeddragons.com or message me on Facebook and I'll put you in touch with the owner. And if you're looking for quality food for your dubia roaches, crickets, mealworms, and superworms, look no further than MS2 Premium Insect Chow. Made with reptiles in mind, it contains no dog food, cat food, or chicken mash. Using only vegetable proteins and high-quality ingredients, MS2 Premium Insect Chow will have your feeders making a beeline for it. Contact ms2ent.weebly.com or it can also be purchased at Rainbow Mealworms and AB Dragons. All right, folks, and I also want to mention uh, that uh, several of our sponsors have standing uh, promotional discounts for our listeners. Uh, Number one, AB Dragons gives you 5% off by using the code GECKO at checkout. So make sure you get that discount on your Dubia Roaches. And, of course, uh, also uh, Keith Kagans is running a 20% uh, off or 25% off special until the end of September, which – and he's got so – he just posted a really cool Blazing Blizzard female, and he's got other things that are really nice, Cresties and Fat Tails. Um, so check out GiantLeopardGecko.com and use the code GNR2014 uh, to get that discount. And uh, let's see, who else? Oh, John Scarborough is giving you guys a discount, too, from Gecko Boa Reptiles. So mention Gecko Nation Radio when you're uh, picking up something from John. In fact, mention Gecko Nation Radio with all of our sponsors. You never know. Um, They love sponsoring the show. We're proud to have them, and they definitely take care of you guys. And um, also I want to mention that our sponsor, Dale's Bearded Dragons, is going to be a new supplier of FlexWatt heat tape. So it's on Amazon right now. You can get it from them. And they're going to be bringing FlexWatt to every expo that they attend from Maryland all the way up to New Hampshire, which is just perfect. So you're going to be able to get it online and at the expos from them. Um, As they develop their website for online sales, it will be a little easier uh, to buy it from their website as well. But for now, just go on Amazon and search for them. You'll find them on there. And... uh, uh, check them out. They have the new six-inch and two-inch sizes as well. So, uh, hey Tim, what do you think? What's been going on in your uh, in your reptile collection? Uh, since the last time uh, we were on the air, I had my first uh, clutch of leopard geckos hatch, and um, really? and I had one hatch out. I found one in the incubator uh, last night too. What'd you get? Um, last night was a an albino tremper red stripe to a jungle. Oh, cool! That's got a glow, I bet. So um, it's really cool. It's got a nice stripe on it. That's awesome. Anything else? Any snakes or anything? No, I didn't breed breed my corn snakes this year. Uh, just not enough time. No. Okay. I have got something incredible. Uh, I think it was two days ago. I've never seen, well, I've seen other things kind of like this, but not like this. 
It's a super snow, white and yellow, bell albino uh, radar. I, I think that's, and there could be even more genes in it because it's from a funky jungle uh, line as well. So this thing, let me tell you, it's pinker than any Diablo Blanco that I've seen at hatching, or and it's pinker than any super snow albino. This thing is like, it's almost like, I can't even describe how pink this thing is. <laughs> and you didn't and you, you didn't know? post pictures yet? I'm gonna post pictures tonight after the show. And I also <laughs> uh had to have some incredible, um really nice uh hyperxanthic stuff. I'm gonna have like just incredible ones this year. Jungle ones, old gold, yellow and black. Beautiful stuff. Nice. I, I just Yeah, it's it's just you know, watching these things develop year after year it just keeps me so enthralled. I just can't stop reading them and, you know, being involved in them. It's just amazing. The the problem is that you breed too many, right? That's right. I was telling you earlier, I got too many of these little, little projects. And when you breed a lot of geckos, folks, as some of you know, you start spotting little subtle differences and little uh, little traits that, that could possibly be developed, either line bred or... Uh, selectively bred over generations and create new effects and you know if you if you start noticing these things which which I do you have you start building up these side projects but each one of these side projects you got to keep in mind it's going to next year you're going to have maybe 30 or more of them you know based on how many you get because you're working with so you know if I have 20 side projects that's another few hundred animals that I can count on for next year so I got to start curving myself as far as side projects and just start letting some of you guys work on them. So I may, uh, I may let a few special uh, different things go this season and uh, let you guys tinker with it. But uh, we'll see. i got to first decide which ones I want to part with, which is the hard part. <laughs> so, um, Well, hold on, Tim. i got an important question for you. Where do we want to send new gecko enthusiasts? Where do we want to send them online to get the best information on geckos and history? Geckoforums.net That's right. Check this out, folks. Did you know that since 2006, there's been a treasure trove of history and information on leopard geckos and other species? Well, Geckoforums is the most extensive database of leopard gecko history on the web right now. Take a look and delve into the past, present, and future of this great community. The biggest contributors, breeders, and hobbyists have left their mark there. Now it's your turn. Look, learn, and post away. Need a place to post animals for sale? Look no further. Visit geckoforums.net and become a member today. Gecko Nation Radio is proud to be the official radio show associated with Gecko Forums. Herpentime Radio is my inspiration for GNR. Justin and JD do a terrific show every Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. Eastern and have an amazing archive of shows available for download. Visit them at blogtalkradio.com slash herpentime and on Facebook. All right, Tim, what do you say we uh, bring on our news anchor and see what's going out there in the reptile world? Let's hear it. All right, cool. Good evening, Gekonians. What's up, Steve? How are you? <laughs> hey, what's going on? Not much. Hey, is that a perfectly striped 
uh, blonde pastel lesser. Yeah, that looks nice, huh? Oh my God! How did you get the? How did you get it to have a perfect stripe? I don't know. It just happened. That's that's is a that, keeper. Is that genetic? <laughs> I don't know. I know a lot of lesser stuff though puts a stripe in it. So okay, who knows? But wow, that thing is amazing. I saw that picture and I was like, you know, I remember you talking <laughs> about it, but I, I you didn't. I don't remember you saying it had a perfect stripe. That stripe goes yeah. complete from head to tail, though. Yep. Yeah. Oh my God, that is so yeah. cool. You guys got to check that, that out. I'll there's, post there's it on the GNR page. Yeah, there's three of them, and they're all blonde lessers, but they all look completely different. You know, they're they're color wise is the same, but patterns are totally all different. Right. Which is cool. Yeah. Nice. Good. Good work on that. Beautiful. Oh, thank you. Be tough well, deciding which tonight? one to keep. You got to keep all three. <laughs> yeah. All right. This is, uh, I think, the biggest story of the week that I found. There was multiple listings for this story. The cat-eating 12-foot python terrorizing Florida has finally been captured. <laughs> okay. So in Port, Port St. Lucie in Florida... A 12-foot Burmese python suspected of eating cats has been captured. Um, what's interesting is, in, like I said, there's multiple articles. Here's police capture cat-killing python in Florida. Giant snake to blame for missing cats. 12-foot snake possibly ate some cats in Florida. Articles go on and on. Um, yep. But... What actually happens in each of them is a little different. This one says, Sergeant John Holman arrived at the scene at about 7.20 a.m. and found a dead cat in an empty lot. Police said Holman Holman walked through the waist-high brush and spotted a Burmese python. Then the next article says, Cops caught a 12-foot Burmese python while it was strangling a, a cat in the bushes. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So who knows really what's going on. But apparently in that neighborhood, cats have been coming up missing lately. And they're blaming well, it on the snake. So, yeah. Well, here's the thing, folks, right? And Steve and Tim, you guys know, you know, uh, cats are the biggest destroyers of na- native wildlife anywhere, everywhere yeah. in the world. They, yeah. Yep. They kill birds. They kill all different types of native animals. And, uh, you, have pe- you know, people love their cats, and I get it, but, you know, outdoor cats are killers. They're, they have it in them to kill things. And I don't, I don't think, you know, having the family uh, pet eaten by a snake is, is a cool thing at all. I, do, I would like to see people keep their cats indoors or, um, you know, get them spayed and neutered so they're not reproducing like crazy. So... It's just how you guys feel about it. Uh, I've got an indoor-only cat, so that's how I feel Mm -hmm. about it. (laughs) And also there are people that build um, cages for them so the cats can get to experience some outdoor activity without uh, killing all the native wildlife. Ah, yeah, okay. Hmm. But uh, it sounds like that town... uh, 
found a different uh, solution to feral a feral cat problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they can just blame it on the poor snake. But maybe it's not the snake. I was somebody mentioned in the group that the snake got framed, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, uh, really. Well, Brooke says I don't like cats. Well, I'm not crazy about <laughs> cats. No, I'm actually allergic to them too. But I'm a I'm a dog lover. But I'm not crazy about the cats, folks. All right, Steve. What's your next story for us? All right, in the UK. Oh, hang on. I'm gonna I'm gonna save that one for last because that's a good one. Edmonton okay. snake puts the squeeze on owners. Okay, this is crazy. There were some tense moments at a home in East Edmonton Thursday evening when a ball python wrapped itself around the arm of its owner and wouldn't let go. Firefighters were the first to arrive at the Ellerslie home and went into the kitchen to find a small ball python named Jake biting into a man's arm. The snake had wrapped itself around the man's arm, holding its bite for ten minutes. Oh, come on. Are you kidding me? Sounds like a life-threatening situation. Ten minutes, even. I mean, come on. Well, that's how it even says a small ball python. <laughs> Just I've had a week a California ago. California king snake latch on and not let go for 20 minutes. I had to submerge it in a bucket of water to get it to let go. Just time. a week ago, my son was helping me water all our animals, give them all water. And mm-hmm. he put his hand into the spotted python enclosure. And she locked on <laughs> for like like thirty minutes. She had him by the thumb. Yeah. Then she let go and grabbed another finger for another ten minutes. So. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> you know, and you know, he's sixteen. He didn't have a problem. <laughs> All you gotta Come do is put in water, and they let go. They they do. They they gotta breathe. So. <laughs> yeah. It's nothing really inhumane about it either. Just no. You know, once once they realize they're underwater, they let go. It, it, but I it took me twenty <laughs> minutes to figure that out. And it, they hurt too if they get you in the right spot on your hand. You know, like oh, the rubbing yeah. in between your fingers is really sensitive. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> All right, our good story coming from the UK: cold-blooded mm. pets replace dogs as man's best friend. Okay, this is pretty cool. In recent years, more people have been taking in reptiles and amphibians as pets, and researchers research has shown that they are now starting to outnumber old favorites such as dogs and cats. A study in 2008 revealed that the UK had 6.5 million dogs, and they had 8 million reptiles and amphibians as pets. Interesting. More reptiles yeah. than dogs. Yep. Wow. 6.5 cool. million dogs, 8 million reptiles and amphibians. So that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And that was I wonder how what the numbers are here, you know. 
Yeah, I'll have to look into that. See if they had, there, there must have been a study somewhere. But we can only get 300 people to sign a... Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I'm not going to get into it. Um, <laughs> that was our last all right. story. <laughs> all right, I'm going to power up the flux capacitor, Steve, and take and let's uh, let's go back in time. All right, August sixth, nineteen ten. Okay, this is a crazy one too. More of a probably a a folk story. Probably, real joint snake is caged in this hamlet. The metropolis of the buttermilk belt in Illinois lives a joint snake, which is daily making acrobatic feats at a circus. Many residents have seen the performances of the serpent and vouch for the truth of its remarkable powers. Albert Kaufman discovered the snake in his meadow. He hit it with a stick and it flew into five pieces. He had heard the story that a joint snake would reunite itself, so he waited until sundown, which according to tradition is the time the serpent reassembles. As the sun was disappearing in the west, he saw the snake gather up its scattered fragments. Meanwhile, Kaufman had got a forked stick and wire cage and had captured it. The serpent is three feet long and speckled. Kaufman feeds mice to his prisoner which appe- which appears to be content. <laughs> that is crazy. <laughs> Again, August oh, 6th, man. 1910. <laughs> oh man, that is that is bizarre. Wow. <laughs> yeah, is. The further you go back, the, the more bizarre I think they get. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, I don't have any have any words for that story. Actually, I can't even know what to say. <laughs> like Tim, it's, it's what do you more have to say a, about that? It's uh, it's interesting. All Steve, all these stories that you dig up, um, it's crazy to to try to think, um, you know, with the culture and uh, how people regarded reptiles back then. Yeah, it was so different. In some ways, and so similar in other ways. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of magic surrounding reptiles. It seems like. Exactly. Wow. All right. Cool. Excellent stories once again, Steve. Thank you very much. Um, Thank you. Wanted to give out your information. Yeah, so people can find you out there. Check me out on Facebook and YouTube under BC Barker Creations. All right, and until next week, we'll see you then. See you there. Thanks. All right. Take care, Steve. Later, Steve. You too. All right, folks, what do you say we get into the discussion with our guest tonight, Ollie? Uh, Tim, why don't you introduce Ollie? You know him better than me. Um, Ollie's got a very... Uh, nice collection of reptiles um he's got some very rare stuff uh that you don't commonly see or that you i'm sure many people listening to the show uh stuff that you've never seen if you attend reptile expos in the united states 
And uh, the rest of his, his introduction will let Ollie do himself. So uh, go ahead and bring him on, Dave. All right, cool. Ollie, you are live on Gecko Nation Radio. Hey, how are you guys doing? Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Thanks for being with us tonight on such short notice. Uh, it's Thank really, really cool what you're doing over there at Raw Dog Reptile. Tell us about yourself, Ollie. Well, you know, I'm just uh, just a guy who got into reptiles at a pretty young age. I, uh, like most kids, started to discover reptiles outside of nature. And from there, I pretty much, you know, got my first leopard gecko in high school and moved on. But over the past, maybe the past 10 years or so, I started to take it a little, a little bit more seriously and actually start breeding it, breeding animals. So mm-hmm. things, things are progressive for me. You know, what, what was, started as a hobby, now it's like a little, a little side business. I'm, I'm happy as, as long as, you know, I can support my hobby and not really have to, you know, worry about shelling out any money for anything. <clears throat> but, yeah, you know, so I'm not I'm not in this for, I'm not strictly like a gecko breeder who's looking to, you know, live off live off the geckos. It's, it's too much work for me. <laughs> I don't know yeah, if you guys know. I know the feeling. <laughs> Ollie, and also you, uh, you have uh, you have species that you just keep as as pests as well that you don't even uh, that you don't even try to breed. So um, you know you really appreciate um, reptiles, and your interest uh, tends to uh, go towards the the very rare species that are not commonly seen in captivity. Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Like I have a um, I have like a green tree python, just one male that's in my living room. He's just a display species. And I have, just like the Naltinus that we're going to be talking about in a little bit, I have uh, some of these species which, you know, they're not so much uh, species where one's going to profit from them. It's just basically for the love of the animal itself. So, you know, I mean, I, I do have those species where, you know, one can make money and kind of uh, have fun with them as well and breed well, but the Naltinus, I mean, it's not, at least in my experience so far, it's, n- it's no moneymaker species, and that's okay. You know, it's okay with me. I have a few species like that. Like, I have uh, the uh, Cordylus cataphractus, which is a lizard from South Africa. It's the uh, tail biter. And I have a few other New, New Zealand species, some Woodworthia species, which are also live-bearing. Yeah, geckos like that. Geckos like that are never going to uh, become all that popular because number one, they don't, you know, they don't breed that well. They don't breed very often. If you're lucky, you're going to get two offspring in a season, perhaps one, and that's in a good year. So yeah, I mean, Ollie, if we can, can we can we back up a little bit and can you yeah. just kind of tell us the progression um, from you know from your first leopard gecko to uh, working with species like the Naltinus? Man, yeah, um, yeah. The progression was: I went from leopard geckos, just like the plain, regular, standard leopard geckos, with the dots. And I remember the high yellows came out, and then you know a little bit after that there were snows, and then there were hypotangerine carrot tails, and you know like as the leopard gecko industry 
progressed. Like, I don't know. I just got hooked. I mean, I love leopard geckos. They are, for me, that's like the species that got me into reptiles. They're, they're such a cool gecko, and everything about them I, I really loved. And, and even, like, my family members, they were all into them. So, you know, and when people started breeding the different types together and coming up with all these different morphs and this and that, like the colors and the patterns, and like you guys were talking about before, it's just pretty, it's just pretty incredible, you know, what one could do with genetics and where it's come within 15, 20 years. So, you know, with that progression, I, I started going to shows, you know, right around here. I think I met you, Tim, at the show, the White Plains show. And yep. so I started going to that show, and then I started going to the Hamburg show as well. And I started seeing different species, you know. And mostly I, I really got captured by the, Nalte, uh, by the Nephris, the knobtail geckos of Australia. Those, that, that was a species, that was a genus that pretty much caught my attention right away. And from leopard geckos, I said, you know, let me try to... Uh, we try to get a few of these, you know. And at that time, I was I was still relatively young. I didn't, you know, economically I wasn't very well established. So I bought a few unsexed juveniles of the uh, the Levis Levis, the smooth knobtails. And I, you know, tried to. I was hoping to get a pair, this and that. And of course, I ended up with two males. <laughs> But, yeah, from there it kind of went, you know. There it kind of went. I, I just I started keeping these, these knobtail geckos, and I was just obsessed with look, like, the way that they looked. I mean, their eyes and, and their tails and, and just everything about it. I just love the way geckos and, and reptiles in general are just, to me, it's, they're really incredible. And, you know, from that I just, it just progressed. You know, I went from the Levis, and I went to the Wheeler Eye, and then I went to the Amii, which is one of my favorite species of all time. It's they are definitely one of the coolest geckos out there. They're uh, if anybody if anyone out there doesn't know what they are, they're a rough knobtail gecko. They're incredibly cool. You know, they have a big head. They have like a small tail that comes to like a perfect round knob, and they will eat anything. They eat anything that's going to fit in their mouth. And I, don't, I just love them. I know. And from there. Started on with the, with a little bit more of the exclusive geckos, you know. I guess the, the animals which are a little bit more um, rare in captivity. And I don't know. I think that's kind of like a people get drawn into the whole is it rare, is it rare topic. And I, I hear a lot of that talk going around. But for me, I kind of got drawn into that because number one, you don't see them very often, and and number two, some of those really rare species, they're rare for a reason. And for me, when I, when, like, when I actually first produced some of the knobtails, like, I don't know, like, that, that was, it was extremely rewarding for me. And that was just, like, continual motivation for my drive in order to get more geckos and get different species. And, and I kept, kept looking around on the Internet and seeing different animals on, on forums and know, this and that, what they had in Europe, and I j it just kept going from there. I mean, I went into different species, into different genuses, and then it kind of, you know, I kind of had 
experimented with a whole different group of genuses, and I, I you know, I kind of weaned through all those, and I figured out which ones I like working with, which ones are suitable to me, you know, basically where I live, and I went from there. You know, I went from there, and somehow it somehow it evolved into getting some of these Naltinas, which were, you know, for me, that was a dream species as well. Like, I never thought that I would be able to obtain a pair. I mean, there there's not too many of them around. The people who do have them are relatively secretive about them, and they're, they're, they're extremely expensive as well. So, why, why are they secretive, Ollie? You know, I don't, I don't know. I mean, they're, they're secretive because there's a specific stigma surrounding Naltinus and New Zealand species in general. I think that's because of the, the laws in New Zealand itself. You know, they don't allow animals to be exported. And they did, mm-hmm. they did allow these animals to be exported for a very small period of time. I believe it was in the 80s. I could be wrong there, but it was maybe just for a few years. And they allowed a certain amount out. And after that, you know, I think that the species all became, you know, CITES-2 listed, so it's very difficult for them to be transported between country to country, and none of them were coming out of New Zealand. So, so people, you know, there's, there's, there's a little bit of, people are quiet, you know, I think, I think more so because, number one, they're, they're expensive, and I've, I've heard of some thefts, actually, of Naltinus collections. And number two, I think, you know, there might be some questionable uh, methods of procuring them in, in, in certain okay. areas as well. So so yeah. similar to Australian species. Yeah, but even more so. Like times ten. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, Australian, Austra- the Australia... The Australians shut down their exporting and importing mostly because of the issues that they had with the cane toad, right? Mm. Is that is that what it was? I'm pretty sure. I mean, they're overrun with cane toads now. Um, they, they were introduced to eat those cane worms or cane beetles. I forget what they forget. Yeah, you know, the, the, exact the cane beetles. Cane beetles, right? Okay. And um, so they imported all these uh, buffo toads, one of the larger species, and they've taken over, I mean, to the point where these toads are everywhere. They drive down, up and down the roads purposely trying to run them over because there's thousands and thousands of these things, millions maybe. And, uh, I mean, I heard that was one of the main reasons that they won't allow anything coming in. Um, mm-hmm. as, far as, as far as exportation, I'm not exactly sure why, Australia and Australia shut its doors, but it's so unfortunate because there are so many people that can't even get a leopard gecko in Australia, or uh, you know, and we can't get uh, some species of blue tongues and you know other incredible animals. It, you know, New Zealand and Australia have some of the most strange and bizarre wildlife anywhere on the planet. Like it's completely unique to to Australia and New Zealand. And even the geckos are just, they're, they're strange. They're different than other geckos, right? I mean, I mean, look at the knobtails, how different they are from most species of geckos around the world. 
Yeah, Ali, why don't you uh, describe for the listeners, um, you know, every, I'm sure most of the listeners by now have, uh, have seen pictures of the Naltinas, but why don't you kind of describe the way they are and compare them to other geckos that, that people are, are more familiar with? Okay, yeah. well, let me see. Well, for, for one, you know, most geckos are, are nocturnal. That's the majority except for the day geckos, the felsuma, and you know, a few other species, but these guys are also diurnal. These guys are diurnal, and uh, which is nice. You know, they're out during the day. They like to bask a lot, and I have some some animals which are they're not shy. You know, they're out in the open. They just kind of like to soak in the rays. And there's some that are a little bit more secretive. They hide in the brush or they hide in cork tubes at times. But in comparison to a lot of other geckos, there. They're real slow, you know. They're not very quick. They're not exactly very graceful in their in their movements. They're kind of clumsy. They'll they're awkward in the way they, they they walk awkward, and then sometimes they'll fall out of the bush. And, but in comparison mm-hmm. to other geckos, they're I don't know. They just they just look really cool, and I like them because. Not just the looks, but it, for me, it's 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 almost like a challenge to, you know, I'm, I'm I was always brought up thinking that, you know, nothing nothing easy is really worthwhile, and you know, having these geckos, I've had I've had them for, I've got I've had one pair for about five years, and I got a, a few other pairs two years after that, so I've been keeping them for about five years, and like they don't. They don't breed very easily. So to me, it's like a challenge. And over those five years, I've only produced two babies. So when I did produce those babies, it was extremely rewarding. So, you know, in comparison to other other geckos, they're they're completely different like that. I mean, I'm used to to leopard geckos, knobtail geckos, where, number one, they lay clutches of eggs, whereas these green geckos, they they give live birth. So all of a sudden, you know, one day I'll be misting. I'll see a little guy just kind of hanging around there, yeah. which is you know, which is crazy. <laughs> Almost completely unexpected. So there's, you know, they're not completely, they're not completely different from, from many species. I think for the most part, it's just the looks that draws people into them. What does their skin feel like, Ollie? It's soft. It's soft, just like... Like a knobtail? Yeah, yeah, pretty much, pretty much. It's a levis? Yeah, not not like an amy eye. It's more like a levis, right? It's, it's soft. It's pretty smooth. Mm-hmm. And they, they, have, uh, they have like a little combination of... Like they have claws, but they also have little, um, a little bit of the, uh, the pads as well which kind of helps them grip a little bit, but they can't clink the glass or, or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And they are arbo- arboreal, correct? Arboreal. Uh, That's correct. And can you talk a little bit about, um, you know, their native habitat? I'm sure you've done a lot of reading and research um, on their native habitat. Can you talk a little bit about what uh, what you've learned? Yeah, yeah absolutely. I... 
Yeah, I've been doing a bunch of research, and you know, I guess the idea is basically to mimic where they come from, the, the, the environment where they come from. And they come from the North Island of New Zealand, the very northern tip. I think the gray, are, gray eye are probably the most commonly kept Nautinus species. But the environment they come from, they, they live in shrubs, tea tree shrubs, uh, either manuka or kanuka. And it's basically almost like an evergreen tree. It, in, it's got like those little pines to it, so they kind of sit in there. And when they're in there, like you can't, you can't see them at all. They're like perfectly camouflaged. And mm. yeah, I think they're, they're very, they're very slow, and they don't move. Like they basically don't, they don't really hunt too well. You know, they they kind of just sit back and wait. They just sit back and wait for things. By. So the environment in, in New Zealand is relatively cool. It's, I think it rains relatively frequently as well. It, it, it's damp, but it's like a cold humidity. And in the winter times, it gets pretty cold. And when I tell people that this species can endure winters in, you know, the high 30s, people think it's crazy because, you know, you think of a gecko, you think of lizards, and you think the desert, you know. All species come from the desert, or they come from the jungles. But this is a completely different, different animal because they come from a, a climate where it's actually cool, and, and they don't like the heat. It rarely gets above 80, and if it does get above 80 for them, it's 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 risky. So yeah, they're they're it's a whole different uh, it's a whole different experience keeping these guys. Interesting. So, I'm, I'm, so why don't you talk, talk a little bit? Sorry, Dave. Go ahead. Ollie, so why don't you talk a little bit how you actually um, house them and and uh, and keep them? Okay. Um, I, I I house these guys relatively similar to a bronia. They they have I keep them in pairs. I don't separate the pairs because I feel like, and what I've been told by other keepers is that. You know, they kind of bond with each other, the male and the female. So I was told to keep them together and have each pair in a screen cage approximately, uh, let's see, maybe two feet by two feet by two feet. And in the enclosure, I have these really dense plants, which they're not alive. They're, they're artificial plants, but they're almost like, almost like evergreens with very thin needles, and they get very dense, and it's similar to the manuka shrubs that they live in in the wild. So I basically just hang a bunch of those from each of the top corners, and it gets very dense inside of them, so they can kind of like, they, they will wedge themselves in there at times, and like you won't even know that they're there. You can't even see them. I'll be looking around, going through it, and sometimes they'll be right in front of my face, and I won't even see them. Yeah, I sp- you know, I spray, I spray them once a day during the mornings. It evaporates probably an hour and a half later. I have I have a water bowl for them, and I have a cork tube as well, which they use. You know, sometimes I think they use that, and and they kind of kind of just hang out in there. Seems like they kind of de-stress, or or they must feel safe. But I, keep, I try to keep my enclosures relatively simple, even for other species. 
therefore, you know, it's easier for them to, to hunt, to get to get crickets that are, you know, running around in the enclosure. And uh yeah, that's that's pretty much it. I keep it I keep it simple. And what kind of um temperatures and you keep um U V on them too, correct? Yeah, I keep U V on them. I, I in the past in the winter time I keep I keep them under uh some metal halide and some high pressure sodium bulbs, which I keep you know, probably about 18 inches from the top of the screen enclosure. And I also have uh, tube fluorescence, like specialized UV bulbs, because they have a, uh, I guess they have a very high requirement for for UV light. Yeah. I've been meaning to, you know, build some outdoor enclosures, but here in Jersey, where I'm at, there's basically not much time when the weather would be adequate for them to be outside because either it's too hot and humid or it's too cold in the winter time. So mm. the temperatures for, for the Nautinus can range from in the high thirties, which would be that, you know, the winter brumation time to I try to go maximum eighty. You know, I I think they can withstand probably temperatures into the eighties to like the mid eighties, but above that I've been told it is very risky and that they could actually actually die when the temperatures get too warm. So I always try to keep my the room that they're in, the reptile room that they are in, under 80 degrees. And if it is at 80, you know, it's probably in the middle of the summer. But when I brumate them in the wintertime, I actually bring them up into my attic. And I open the window, and the temperature gets to be... I get it, I get it down there. I mean, it's scary sometimes. I, I'm, I worry. I've done it, you know, four or five years already. But every time, like, it gets me worried, you know, just to put an animal that's as nice as they are, not even talking about, you know, cost, just like that they're, there's not many of them around, you know, I think that I'm going to do something wrong and freeze them. So I put them up there, I keep the windows open, it's like in the low 40s at night, the high 30s, and, you know, they're fine. They do great, They they just... They don't really move too much. They will. I will keep the UV light on them during the day, and, and during the day they'll come up to the top of the shrubs. They'll bask, and then at night they they go back and they retreat. But it's 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 really cool that they can they can survive that kind of environment. Hey Ollie, I was going to ask you about about that. Like, how does it actually feel to to care for these animals and you know does it stress you out because I know how I am about things and I think I'd need Xanax or something just to just to <laughs> to keep these guys because <laughs> I would be worried not 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 about the monetary value it's not even about that just the fact that it takes so much to get these to reproduce and so much time and the rarity of them I seriously think that owning them would be a It'd be for me. It'd be less of a blessing and more of a curse because I don't think I would sleep. I, I would be so worried about. Oh man, I mean, I, I know what you're. I know what you're saying, but on the other end, like it is. Like it's. I'm grateful that, you know, that the, the three pairs I have are they're doing good. You know, they haven't really gotten sick. But yeah, it's it's. You know, when you know, there's an animal like that know you want to do well with it because there's not so many of them around 
and there's a little pressure there. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, with with that challenge, you know, is, is high reward as well. And, you know, hopefully, you know, a lot of the learning experiences that I've had with reptiles has been, you know, fatalities or, you know, you got to, I have to learn the hard way at times, trial and error. Mm-hmm. But with these guys, you know, you can't just, I, I want to minimize that as much as possible. So in the beginning, you know, I talked to as many people as possible. I, I was, like you said, like I was worried. I, I was anxious that I was going to do <laughs> something that would compromise their health, you know, perhaps even, you know, compromise their life. But they're hardy. They're, they're hardy. They're hardy geckos. If they're kept right, they're, they're tough. So... I'm happy about that. I mean, I've kept species like the uh, Parodura masobe, which, you know, you look at them wrong and those things will just die. But these, <laughs> oh, my God. Are, these are different. So, I'm, I, they're, like, I know what you're saying, and at first I was very worried, but I became, a, you know, I became a member of the New Zealand Herb Society, and, of course, obviously I don't attend meetings there, but they gave me the names and numbers of, and I was in contact with several of them, and they all keep numerous different species. And just by communicating with them and, and having them kind of calm me down and walk me through things, and you know, I sent them pictures of my enclosure, and they sent me pictures of their enclosure, and they sent me the temperatures. And a lot of these guys, they're they're catching their own insects to feed to feed their their geckos uh-huh. with. And for me, you know, I I raise all my own feeders. So they were just—they just said, you know what? If you do what we do and feed them a diverse diet and, and supplement them with uh, a quality calcium and, and vitamin supplement, provide them with adequate hydration, they're—they're going to do fine. They're hardy. Just make sure that you don't keep them too wet, and make sure that you don't let them get to a temperature which is too high, more so than too low. So they—they they eased me—they eased my mind a little bit with that. That's a that's an awesome resource to have. Uh, I didn't realize that you that you were in contact with with them. It's um, but also I'm sure they probably have some outdoor enclosures that they just leave them in year round, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's true. They they even on the South Island, they just they have outdoor enclosures. They I think they put like a cover on them to make sure that, like you said, or if you're like cats can't get to them or you know, any other, any other potential predator, and they let them get... Hey, Ollie, how did, the, how did the breeding go with, uh, with these guys? What was that experience like? The breeding? Yeah, well, like how did they, how did you set that up for them to do it and all? In the beginning, in the beginning, I, I, I witnessed them breeding, and they, they, make, they make these crazy noises, and they're kind of, they were shuffling around, and I, I got worried, I didn't know what to do, and... I went over and looked at the enclosure, and I saw them breeding, and I was like, oh, sweet. You know, I was real, I was real happy, and this was the first year. And looking back, you know, they hadn't, they didn't produce until three and a half years after that. But the breeding is basically, I feel like, and I've been told by some other people who have been successful with the species, that it takes them a while to acclimate, and they're a gecko that, you know, when you take them from one environment and put them in another, and that's, I don't know if that's so much like moving them from one location to the other as it is 
in one enclosure which is set up in a certain way to another enclosure which is set up differently, it, it, it throws them off. And I was told it takes them, you know, a season or two to, you know, get used to the new enclosure and they won't produce in that time. So because of that, you know, I said, all right, I'm going to say the first two years are just are just them getting used to their new enclosures. I'm not going to, I'm going to get the enclosure set up. I'm not going to tweak it. I'm going to leave it the way it is so that they, they get used to it, they're comfortable, and then pray for the best. And basically with the facilitation of brumation and adequate diet, you know, you just, I mean, all you can do is pretty much like with any other gecko, just try to, try to make the, uh, try to give them the optimal, optimal, you know, environment, food, and uh, all that, and just hope for the best. And when you when you brumated them in your attic, do you actually leave them in the same cage, or do you put them in a in a different uh, no, I, enclosure? I, I I just grab the I grab the screen enclosure and I just bring it either into the attic or into the basement, depending on where I was living. And yeah, I pretty much kept the setup the same. They were in the same enclosure, and I just put it up there, made sure the temperatures were cold enough. Most importantly. You know, I, like like the same with any other species, I, I slowly, you know, gently dropped the temperatures down to where, you know, they were going to sit for a few months. And, and they, I think the brumation is pretty important for them because in, in New Zealand they were, they're accustomed to uh, sitting in a cold, pretty cold uh, state for a few months in their, in their winter time. I'm looking at the picture of your of the male here, and uh, it's I mean it's obvious that it's a male. It's got huge bulges. Um, how do you, how long does it, does it take I guess to be able to tell uh, the sex of of a, a baby or a young juvenile uh, gray eye? Um, I'm not a hundred percent sure how long it takes. I'm I'm not so good at sexing them because I have. Like I said, I have three pairs, and of the three pairs, two of them have produced. The third one, third ones haven't produced, but I'm actually anticipating that they're gonna they're gonna produce relatively soon. Mm -hmm. But from one male to the other, like one male has got big bulges, like you see in the picture, and then another male almost doesn't have that doesn't have those bulges, and then in the other pair, the female has bulges. So. It's it's a little confusing, you know. It's a little confusing. And hmm. With the animals, as the juveniles, I would imagine that they could probably be sexable at you know nine months or so. Mm-hmm. Now the uh, the white striping and spotting is that I guess that's highly variable from gecko to gecko. Uh, does that change and develop as they age, or is it kind of like a set pattern? That pattern, it's it's definitely yeah. highly vari variable. Like some some of the, uh, I have a pair which just produced recently. They they weren't they didn't have like extremely a lot of white. I mean they had white, but their patterns were relatively simple. And the offspring was, it was it, it's like the white is it's like everywhere, and the pattern is really nice. I actually have it. There's a picture on my blog of that gecko and, and it 
it's just it's just I don't know it's just really cool looking it, it, but it's nothing like the parents it just has like much more white but I'm sure you know in, in time you know if people were were line breeding geckos like this which wouldn't be easy you know if you put a high white penis to a high white I'm sure you could probably breed for those kind of traits what do you guys think yeah, yeah it'd take definitely. a long time so, right take a take a real long time but uh <laughs> but right now the challenge is just uh getting them and then uh acclimating them and getting them to to reproduce right yeah yeah has that kind thing. of time you got to be patient <laughs> this, is, this is all about patience here you know this is uh like with most with most species and I know both you guys are are very well aware of this that you know it's a test of time Mm-hmm. A lot of people they get into these geckos, and whether it's you know whether it's leopard geckos or knobtail geckos or felsuma or whatever, you know they have them for a year or two, and, and they expect they're going to get all these eggs, and it doesn't necessarily always happen. And, and then they give up on it. You know they sell the, they sell the animals and, and they give up. And it's I think that's very common. You know, but with these, it's a it's all about patience. You know. It's all about the test of time, you know, and the determination that the person has. You know, I, I could have gotten frustrated after the third year and said, you know what, I'm going to sell them and recoup my investment, if that's what you want to say. But I didn't. I said, you know what, these, these geckos live to be about 40 years old, as they know, and they can breed up until 40 years old, until they die. So... You know, I got each of the each of the pairs. My my one pair is about this is what I was told. You know, is about eight or nine years old now. Another and the other two pairs are probably about six years old. So, you know, I got another thirty-two years or so on, on the one pair. So I got time. You know, I got time to see to see what these guys are gonna do. Yeah, it really it really reminds me um, listening to. Um other uh reptile breeders especially you know the the python breeders and you know back in the day they before you know ball pythons were captive bred you know left and right you know people would always uh be getting imports and they'd always try to get a fat old female thinking that that would make the best breeder and um eventually they learned you know getting young adults are you know raising raising them up in captivity that way they're acclimated already to their captive environment and they were more successful breeding those um those pythons and it's you know i'm I'm sure it's something very similar especially with such a long-lived species um you know that acclimation process is not like a, a leopard gecko or a fat tail gecko where you can, you know, buy an adult in January or February, and you're breeding it by March. And I, I've, it also when you were talking, Ollie, it reminded me, um, you know, listening to uh, Trooper Walsh speak. Um, if anybody doesn't know, Trooper Walsh is one of the pioneers um, in the country f- who 
was one of the first guys, if not the first guy, to breed green tree pythons. And um, and he'll tell you, you know, now they're they're very commonly bred, but he'll tell you that he's killed more green tree pythons than anybody else. <laughs> that I'm not surprised about. You know, in, I feel like in order to get, you know, especially with species like that, I mean, I hope, hopefully it's not the case with me, but, you know, that, you know, in order to figure out what you have to do, you know, you have to figure out what you shouldn't do. It might be just as important to figure out what, what you should not do as, as what you should do. Yeah. All right, folks, listen, we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to come back. Uh, just got to play a sponsor plug real quick. Uh, Holly and Tim, hang tight. And uh, all our listeners, uh, check out this message from our sponsors, and uh, we'll be back in a few minutes. Hope you're liking the show. Awesome. Oh, and in the meantime, while we're doing the, the plug, if you'd like to check out the Raw Dog Reptiles blog spot, you can find it at rawdogreptiles.blogspot.com. And scroll down a bit, and you can see the baby Nautilinus uh, that, he, that, he, uh, that he has. They're just incredible. Uh, they're even cooler looking than the adults, I think. So uh, check it out. We'll be right back, folks. Gecko Nation Radio is a David's Fine Gecko's creation and production. You can visit the show's Facebook page at Gecko Nation Radio. I also have a great family-friendly group on Facebook called Gecko Nation. Apply for membership today. Gecko Nation Radio is sponsored by Gecko Boa Reptiles is your source for the highest quality leopard gecko morphs and wild types. From white and yellows to radars, amazing tremper morphs, and rare subspecies. John is a world-class breeder and extremely knowledgeable. If you're looking for something truly special in geckos, contact John Scarborough at geckoboa.com and on Facebook. Rainbow Mealworms is the largest worm grower in the world and selling to the public since 1956. If you need the highest quality mealworms, superworms, and crickets for your pets, contact them at www.rainbowmealworms.net. Ron Tremper is the biggest contributor to leopard gecko morph making known worldwide for his amazing examples of living art. You can now download his Leopard Gecko Care app, his Morph Encyclopedia app called Leopard Gecko Pro, and visit his site, leopardgecko.com, to see where morphs are made. GiantLeopardGecko.com specializes in giant and supergiant leopard geckos with a focus on selectively bred, exceptional lines of many different morph combinations including high-end African fat tails and crested geckos. With over 17 years of experience in herpetoculture, Keith Kiggins brings you quality, integrity, and value. Check out GiantLeopardGecko.com on the web and on Facebook. Supreme Gecko is a great source for crested geckos, day geckos, and other species, including micro geckos. Wally Kern is a top-notch breeder and gecko enthusiast. Visit SupremeGecko.com for his available animals and supplies. ABDragons.com is your source for the highest quality doobie roaches. Whether you're starting a colony of your own or just need feeders for your insect-eating herps, ABDragons.com can't be beat in quality or price. They are also a huge distributor of FlexWatt reptile heat tape and have very competitive pricing. Check out abdragons.com online and on Facebook. All right, folks, we are back, and uh, we have a special message from our newest sponsor, 
uh, Daryl Burton from Longhorn Geckos. Go ahead and bring Daryl on. He wants to tell you guys something. Daryl, you're live on Gecko Nation Radio. Daryl, you there? Can't hear you, bud. No? Okay. All right, folks. Uh, well, Daryl wanted to uh, give a message about his uh, current sale. He's He finally put his first geckos up for sale on his Facebook page. So check out Longhorn Geckos on Facebook and he's running a special on his for sale animals, okay? So he's got some beautiful bandits, I think an extreme amarine and some G-Project crosses. So just exceptional stuff. If you know Daryl, he's only got the best out there, best lines. So um, give him a shot. Hold on, here he is again. Daryl, you're there. Yeah, I'm here. I don't know what happened. I've, I heard you doing that, and I had it on speaker, so I went to turn it off speaker and lost you. So, Okay, go ahead. Tell anyway. Us what, uh, tell us what you got going on. Uh, well, finally getting things rolling a little bit, uh, working on the page, uh, the Facebook page, and finally getting some animals up for sale. So, uh, yeah, if everybody comes take a look, uh, we'll see what we can do, and uh, uh, can't wait to see how it goes. Nice. I saw those bandits. They look really good. A lot of beautiful stuff up there yeah i posted a couple of new ones today uh, uh but yeah i've got a few up there sun glow a couple of marines that are pure tramper stock extreme marines uh bandits g crosses so yeah there's some nice looking stuff there beautiful all right cool and folks make sure you mention gecko nation radio if you see anything you like uh daryl's going to take care of you all right all right, That's Darryl, right, for, yeah. Uh, thank you very much for sponsoring the show, and I hope you do really well with your uh, first sales. All right, buddy. Well, thank you, and uh, keep up the good work. All right. Talk to you later, bud. Uh-huh. All right, guys, we're going to jump back into our interview uh, with Ollie and Tim. You guys are back on the air. And, uh, you know, one of the things I noticed, Ollie, about your your page is uh, you've, you've uh, kept uh, that really rare gecko that takes like two years to incubate uh, its eggs. Is that Kochi or Kochi? How do you pronounce that one? It's the Colopus Koki. Koki, that's it. Okay. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that guy? Yeah, those those guys are uh, those guys are an African species. They yeah, like you said, it could take up to two years for their eggs to incubate. And mm-hmm. even though I, I really haven't had success with them incubating the eggs, you know, oh, I've, I've really? got, I've, yeah, I've got, I have, I've gotten eggs, and you know, I had them in my incubator for years, and they just never, they never hatched. So I can't say that I actually produced any of them. Interesting. But hmm. that was another Are they easy species. Captives? Yeah, yes, supposedly. They were supposedly captive. I mean, you know. Huh. I see uh, also on your Facebook page, it looks like you have to have a, a two-headed Amii. <laughs> yes, I hatched out a two-headed Amii. That, that was actually the pride and joy of my last season's last season's hatchlings. It doesn't look like it yeah. survived, though, did it? No, no, it never made it, unfortunately. 
Wow. I'll send the link to uh, to the people listening in the chat. Check it out, folks. This this one's really weird. Well, getting back to the baby uh, that I was talking about on your uh, on your blog spot, uh, the baby gray guy. What what was that like when you first saw that little guy hanging out in there? You know what? The, fir- the first the first one that I saw, I really I really couldn't believe it. You know, I like I said, it had been years. It had been like three and a half, four. I don't even know what it was. Four years or so. I, I had had an and I had basically just kind of written off the fact that these these geckos were not going to breed. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? I, I have them because I, I love them, and I'm not expecting anything. And in a way, that helped me out, you know, mentally to kind of accepted that it wasn't going to happen. You know, I was sold these pairs, and all three of them were supposedly proven breeders. And I got them from people I trusted. So... And I saw some pictures of the of the babies that they had produced, so I believe that they were indeed proven breeders. But yeah, after the four years, you know, one day I was downstairs watering my geckos, you know, at night, and I came along to the to the gray eye enclosures, started misting them down, and then I saw like a little, which was the tail, just kind of curl up. I must have sprayed sprayed them and. I saw the tail curl up, and he moved a little bit, and I was like, what was that? You know, and I, I look closer, and I see this little guy just hanging out there, and I, 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 you know, I was just, I was like a little kid, you know, just going crazy. <laughs> I was really excited. I, I, I was like was screaming, you know. My girlfriend thought something was wrong, and <laughs> I, was just, I was just really happy. I mean, you know, because it's completely unexpected. I, I had thought so many times that my females were gravid. I was like, she's gravid, definitely. I mean, I didn't have an ultrasound, so I didn't know 100%, but she was big, her abdomen was large. But it just turned out, you know, she was well-fed, and she wasn't actually gravid. So, and you know what? This, this, this last time, the last uh, juvenile that... That was born about a month and a half or two months ago. I didn't even think that the, the female was gravid. I, I, I thought the opposite. I, I had no clue that she was gravid. I wasn't expecting anything. So to actually see that again for the second time, I was like extremely, extremely shocked. And you know, something like that just puts you in a good mood. If I recall the correctly, bounce the, back? the first. Say what? I just wanted to ask him. If, I just wanted to ask him if the females bounce back that after breeding. Yeah, she she bounced back great. I mean, they're kind of pigs, you know. They will they will eat. Like I said, they don't really actively hunt. I have one female that will, one or two females that the females will go after crickets a little bit. They'll you know they'll maybe move six inches to get a cricket, but. I make sure, you know, I feed them a lot of the, the hornworms. I feed them silkworms, a lot of blue bottle flies, wax moths, silk moths, uh, waxworms, crickets. Like, I will feed them dubia and roaches only if they're, like, freshly molted white ones. 
I'll feed mm-hmm. them superworms like that as well. So, you know, I just kind of, like with any other gecko, I just made sure she was uh, adequately hydrated and that she had enough food in her belly to recuperate properly. And they both seem fine. They both kind of bounce back and, and seem to be doing great. Ali, and unfortunately that, that first um, baby that you had did not survive, correct? Yeah, thank, thank you for, for bringing that up, Tim. I, I appreciate Sorry. it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no it, didn't. It, didn't, it didn't survive. Um, yeah, you know, I, I, I'm going to have to say that I, I messed it up. You know, I didn't, I didn't know what to do. I'd spoken to a few people, and I thought I had everything good. I thought I had the enclosure properly. I thought I had, you know, everything on lockdown, what was supposed to happen. But I don't think that the gecko actually ever ate, and that was the problem. And, and with the second one, with the second one, I, I used a very small enclosure. You know, I had advice from from a, a very experienced gecko breeder who, you know, has experience with them, and he basically walked me through it, told me what to do. So basically, it was like two strands of this fake plant in like one of those little cube exoterra, which is like about eight inches by eight inches by eight inches, mm-hmm. no substrate, and just he had said to use like when it was freshly, when it was just born to use, you know, a little bit smaller than quarter-inch crickets, which I thought was quite large for for an animal of that size. But he said, you know what, pinch off the hopper legs, and you know, let them let them run around in there. Don't put any substrate so that you know they're always like pretty much accessible. And you know, then I I even started feeding her with with tongs, or you know. So yeah, the second one was completely different. You know, the first one was a little discouraging, but at the same time, you know, I, I tried to try to turn a negative into a positive. Try to learn from it, and try to move on from there. I, I was, you know, it was it was hopeful that they actually produced. So, you know, where, where I had accepted that, you know, like I said earlier, like I was like, you know what, I like these animals, I love them, you know, I've accepted that they're not going to produce. But then they did produce, so then I got hope, and then it died, and I was like bummed out, of course, like real bummed out. <laughs> but then there was hope, and, and you know, I went from there. And so far, uh, so the so the second little guy's doing pretty well, huh? Yeah, yeah, doing well and growing. That's awesome. So, um, you know, it's it's uh, it definitely seems like slow steps, especially when um, you know all the other species you worked with have been uh, much easier compared to it. But uh, you're definitely achieving some success, and any success with a species like this is is really difficult to achieve, so congratulations. Thank you. You know, it's just like anything, um, especially for these guys, just attention to detail and to do it, doing it doing it right. And, you know, after that first experience, like Dave was saying earlier, you know, aren't you completely nervous or anxious about these these geckos dying or something happening to them? You know, after that first experience... With the second baby, yeah, I was. You know, I was always, 
worried. I, I kept thinking that, you know, I would come, I'd go into my gecko, my gecko room, and you know, this animal would uh, would be dead. At the same time, you know, I was feeding it, and it was eating, and and it's growing, and you know, so so you know, that's that's definitely some encouragement for me to keep going with them and just to be persistent. You should get a turnstile awesome. put outside the front of your house and charge admission to come see these things. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, people say, "Why don't you, why don't you go to schools and, you know, teach kids about reptiles and amphibians and things like that?" But you know, I, I tell them, you know, I can't bring, I can't bring a Noltinus gray eye to a, to an elementary school. I just, I'm just not going to. Oh do that. hell no! No way. <laughs> No, you got to bring the school to your house. Yeah. <laughs> Field trip. Yeah, day. but then you know, I, I you know, I, I let friends come over, and you know, if anybody wants to see my collection, then they're more than welcome to come by. I, I think I'll take you up on that. Uh, I'm in Pennsylvania. I go to here in Jersey. Where where in Jersey are you? I'm in North Jersey. I'm, I'm about. Five minutes from the George Washington Bridge, I'm in a town that's oh. I don't know, if, close to Hackensack. It's basically mm-hmm. in in, uh, in northern Jersey, so not too far from the White Plains Expo, which you you vend there, right? Yeah, yep, I'm there. Yeah, I've seen you there, a couple so. times. I didn't know you then, but I, I when I saw your pictures on the, your Facebook page, I started seeing you there. Okay, yeah, I'm usually lingering around. Yeah. Wow, yeah, I I wouldn't take those out of the house either, Ollie. I wouldn't show them off or anything. Uh, <laughs> no, definitely not. <laughs> so what do you think? Uh, do you think within another 10 years you may have a, a little bit of a colony going? Real, I, would really like to thi- I would like to think so. I, I mean, in 10 years' time, that's a, long, that's a long stretch of time. So I would like to say in 10 years' time, I'll probably hold back all the offspring that I have, whatever that may be, and try to start something uh, significant rather than, you know, having a baby, establishing it, and then selling the offspring off. Because Yeah, there, seriously, like return on investment. I mean, I, I don't even I, – I wouldn't part with any for 20 years. So I don't see how you could – you know, like I'm being serious too. Like, how could you even part with any if they're all that goes into producing these things? It's like, yeah. I don't know. It's crazy. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how people uh, how people do it. You know, you get you get attached to the animal, and then you put so much into it just to get rid of it. I mean, I've had I've had thoughts. You know, obviously thoughts have come through my mind that, oh, you know, just sell them or sell a pair, you know, or, or something like that, but you know what, I'm going to regret that in the long run. Mm-hmm. You know, what's what's the money when you, you know, you can't get these animals even if you do have the money. So yep. I'm going to hold on to it, and I'm going to I'm gonna try my best with them. And hopefully in 10 years' time, hopefully in 10 years' time, things are, things are going real well, and I have a, a nice, substantial, large colony. <laughs> I hope so. I hope you do really well with them. Ollie, um, I'm going to bring up something else that uh, that Dave is going to be very very jealous of. 
Um, you've been to the Ham show in Germany, and um, I know oh, I've been to I've been to many shows in the United States. I've been, you know, to a couple Daytona shows. I've been to a show in California, the the Reptile Super Show, mm-hmm. um, and of course many shows in the Northeast and up and down the the eastern coast of the United States. And I can say that I've never seen Grey Eye at a reptile expo in the United States. Did you uh, see any at, at the Ham show? I did. I did actually see a few. There were actually a, um, a friend of mine had brought some from England. They had driven from England. A friend of a friend brought some from England. And they basically had driven them. They were, they were the uh, the Elegans, the Naltinas Elegans. And basically, you know, he had, they were already pre-sold, you know. But they're, they're definitely around there, much more than they are here. I mean, the species that they have in Europe are, are you know, much more than what we have here. And the numbers are much more, I, I think, you know, and I'm pretty sure that's the case, unless there's people that are very secretive in the U.S., which I know there are. But, yeah, they, they have a lot more and... Sometimes you know you go you go around there and you don't even want to look at the tables because there's just so many cool animals, you know, and there's just not enough not enough money to to buy all of them. So it's 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 cool though. It's something to check out at least once. And uh, and tell us more about the the Ham show. Um, Dave's uh, Dave's had some questions about it in the past, and um, uh, actually, who was supposed to be on tonight? Rebecca Hassler who vends there, um, you know, has, has tried to describe it, but she's never been to any shows in the United States, so it's kind of hard for her to describe it for, for, uh, for people here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what's it, it like was... compared to the White Plains show, Yeah. You know? Okay. I mean, in comparison to the White Plains show... <laughs> you can't compare them? <laughs> well, it, it, it's, it's not that it's, it, it's that much larger, per se. It's maybe... Maybe it's I don't know three or four times the size of White Plains. No, no, maybe oh three, three, maybe three times the size of White Plains. Oh Max my God! Wow. Times. But it's completely different. It's a very open uh, venue, and just the just the species there are are completely different. You know, you can go to the White Plains show or the Hamburg show or any of the shows here in the U.S. And you know, majority you'll see some really cool. Leopard geckos, you will see awesome crested geckos. You will see, you know, ball python morphs of all different shapes and sizes and colors. But you don't see a lot of these these more exclusive animals. And I'm not saying that the ham show that there are, you know, Naltinas at every table because that's far from the case as well. But they they are around. And but most of those kind of species, like it, the shows here, you know, they get sold beforehand you know those are sold to from vendor to vendor and and they're not even put out on the table they never even make it that far so it's it's a cool <laughs> show i mean it's in it's in like a little random town and yeah i i definitely i would actually i was thinking about going back in october i mean i have family in 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 germany so you know, it's a it's a it's a good excuse for me to get to the show. I could say, oh, you know, I'm going to visit family. When <laughs> I just want to go to the show, 
<laughs> but it's hard. It's the thing that's the problem. Is it's you know you know how it is getting animals back. It's not always that easy, and especially yeah. with Maltinas, that's almost impossible. Yeah. I wouldn't even. I wouldn't know what to do. So you need Prozac for that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'd love to go to one of the Japan shows or the Han show. It's a, you know, it's always been a dream of mine to, you know, check out one of those shows. Although I really am really not a big fan of traveling, but for that I think I would do it. So sure, it, 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 it would it. definitely be worth it. And Ali, mm-hmm. talk also about how um, how crazy it is because it's um, you know it's so it's so crowded. And, uh, you know, you can't just kind of, like, when I was a kid and I would go to shows, I would always do, like, a lap around the the show and see every single thing on every table. And then, um, you know, and then later on, I'd, I'd go back around and I'd kind of concentrate on the, the species that I was interested in. And I'd, and I'd go back and hit those certain tables again, and sometimes a third or fourth time, and you can't exactly do that at home, right? I mean, you can. You can it's it's not it's not that big. Like I don't want I don't want to make it seem like it's something where you you won't be able to see everything. It's big. But it's not it's not that big, you know. There there's it's just that there's a lot to take in, you know. Like you walk around and you see, you know, Fiji iguanas you know, things like that. You see a lot of species that you don't see around here. You don't even see them advertised in the classifieds. So, right. you know, you want to, you want to stop at every table and look and, and you know, and like for me it's it's nice because, you know, I'm I'm uh, speak German fluently, which you know, it helps. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but it's 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 impressive. Like just the species wise it's impressive. Have you uh, have you ever met Rebecca Hassler? I don't think so. No. Have you ever seen her there at the show, Dragon Gecko? What's her What's her uh, company? Dra- Dragoon Gecko. Dragoon Gecko. Yeah. No, I'm not. I'm not familiar with her. Hmm. Okay. I'm just wondering if she's. There. Yeah, no, I'm just wondering if she's as hot in person as she is on her website. <laughs> oh, maybe, uh, maybe I'll try to check her out next time. Yeah, <laughs> she's got beautiful geckos, too. There's nothing better I've than that, you know. Nothing better I've than a beautiful, the, woman uh, beautiful gecko. She's the James Bond girl of the gecko community. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> she proposed right now. <laughs> uh, that's that's cool. Ollie, so, I I hope uh, to get there one day. Ali, so what else um about the the green geckos? Um you know, are there any little things that you do um that uh that you do you, you haven't done with other gecko species? Um you know, you mentioned uh pretty much all the all the things you do, how you keep them, how you feed them. But um, is there anything different that that you know you'd compare maybe similar to chameleons or or that's just totally different than 
than other gecko species you've worked with? No, not not really. You know, there's there's nothing. I can't say there's something like you know a decisive factor that if you don't do this, it's, you know, they're not going to survive. They're just they're just like any other gecko in in that regard. No real special requirements. I mean, like I mentioned with the feeding, they I feed them a large a large part of their diet is are flies, you know, blue, bo- uh, blue bottle flies. And, you know, as a feeder, you don't really, you know, encounter those around too often, but they're, they're definitely obtainable. They, they like those. They like moths. But, you know, aside from that, they're not too much different than any other, any other gecko. I mean, I, I do take time out of, you know, my week, maybe an hour of the week or or a little bit less to, you know, I feed, the, I make sure each gecko gets some food with, with tongs, you know, to make sure they eat. And there's also, I guess there is something, there's, you know, people have said that manuka honey is, is beneficial to Maltinas or New Zealand geckos in general. And what, what the, I mean, for you guys who don't know, Manuka honey is basically just honey, uh, which came from bees, which fed off the pollen of the manuka tree, which is the tree or the shrub that Nultinus primarily live in in their native New Zealand. And the qualities of that honey are that they're you know extremely anti—it's like antibacterial, antifungal properties—and they actually sell it. And it's, it's it's pretty expensive stuff. And a lot of the people from New Zealand and some of the European breeders, they're like, "Oh, you know, you should you should really give them the honey and you know put it on a put on a little a long stick. And if you do that, you put on a little a little bit on the tip of a, a long stick, like a chopstick or something, and you put it in front of their face, they're going to start licking it. And you know, it's sweet, so they keep going with it. I can't, you know, whether that's going to make or break anything in Nultinus is I'm, I, I would highly doubt because I can't imagine that in the wild that, that one of these geckos is going up to a beehive and, and trying to start licking the honey from it. Do you, do you think maybe in the wild they actually eat the bees themselves, though? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. But maybe they do. I don't know. Where do you get these flies much. from? Well, I got them actually from a... Uh, I get them from a mantis breeder, a a woman who, like, keeps and breeds a lot of these uh, mantid species. Interesting. They, I, I guess they feed them a lot of flies, and, and I, you know, I basically got some from her, and, you know, then I start cultures over here and just try to keep it going. Hmm. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to be able to keep and breed uh, species of horn-toed lizards, and, uh, you know, they're, they're anteaters. And uh, mm-hmm. I'm wondering if, if I'd be able to get ants to feed these things or if I would have to figure out a way to convert them over to small roaches or something. But the babies are tiny. And uh, I don't even think roaches or I think baby roaches would be too big for them for some of the babies. So, mm-hmm. you know, these, these strange species are really interesting. And, you know, a lot of us would love to keep them, but they're very special requirements sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, 
that, that, no, but I think that that's, like you of, say, though, that's part of the that's part of the challenge and part of what makes it such a such a great experience. I mean, something that it, it, not too many people can do. Um, being that you've kept uh, such a tough species, well, I mean, I mean, it's not tough like you say, but uh, such a rare species. Does it does it give you confidence that you know you feel like you can tackle a lot of other uh, species that are out there, Ollie? Um, that's a good question, actually. Does it give you a big no. ego? No, it doesn't. It doesn't give me a big ego. I try to. I try to remain. Uh, I try to keep some humility in my in my in my life <laughs> because I know you know you. you yeah, I mean, I, I, the baby died. You know, what can I? You know, I can't really get too much too high of an ego there. But it, it kind of grounds me in reality. But yeah, I mean, you know, I know that I can keep any species. That, that there is out there, as long as I'm willing to put in the time, you know, research its requirements, research exactly how people who have success with it, how they do, and, yeah, and if I'm willing to put in the time and the effort and to not only to, to read about them and to become educated, but, yeah, I can keep, I can keep pretty much, pretty much anything. But like you said, you know, those specialized species that feed on ants, or termites. Those are different, you know. They sell those. What are the, what are those lizards that they sell a lot out west? They're from the western United States. The, the horny toads or something. They're they're right. anteaters. Yeah. I think cornutus, cornutus species. Yeah. I mean, they sell them even though they know that. I mean, they look. Nobody awesome, can care for them. But they yeah. know no one can care for them, and that basically they might as well just you know. Right. It's, it's such a shame. It's such a shame. It's a shame. Man. I saw them at the last uh, hamburger show for 15 bucks each. I didn't buy any because I know what goes into caring for them, but, you know, they're they're incredible. They're incredible species. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people are buying them, and you, you know none of those things are going to make it. And I don't know. It, it, it upset me quite a bit, actually. But Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I feel the same way. But, I mean, I think that if, you know, if there, there's definitely ways to, you know, acquire ants, and, and you know, I mean, even when I was a kid, I had an ant colony, so. Right. Oh, yeah, that's right. You got to bet you could order ants lot, from those guys. Ants. Yeah. They do sell, they do sell, har they sell harvester ants. I don't know if those are going to cut it, though. No. Or, or, or ants, Dave, you could, you could try termites. I know, um. I actually, uh, when I lived in Florida, I used to feed termites to some of my geckos, to some of the smaller species. Mm -hmm. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I'll give it a shot. Daryl and I talk about it a lot. Daryl lives in Texas. He's listening. And uh, he's got them running around in his area, and uh, they're protected there. So, uh, you know, it's kind of some, you know, I guess different species are protected. We, we've gone back and forth, like, well, how could they even sell them if they're protected? And I'm like, well, maybe they're not the, the same uh, subspecies that that are protected there in Texas. I don't know, but uh, yeah, it's, it's it's I don't know. I'd love to keep them someday. Maybe I'll try to try to do it. But even I, you know, that that'd be a lot. That'd be a big big pressure on me to to have them. I mean, I I like the ease of care of leopard geckos. I I'm more interested in the genetic chess game that we're playing with the leopard geckos. Um, that's what kind of keeps me engaged. Um, I do have some 
obscure species here too. But uh, you know, something like uh, like a horny toad or Nautilus would really stress me out right now. So. Holly, <laughs> <you know. laughs> um, why don't you talk? Why don't you talk a little bit about how um, you got into doing the blog and exactly what you do for uh, for listeners that aren't familiar with your blog? Well, yeah, it's a great blog, by the way. Yep. I just, you know what, I, I started the blog because it's just eye candy. You know, people love pictures, and I love pictures, and I love taking pictures, and I have friends who have awesome geckos, and, you know, I just want to, just wanted to start something. I didn't want to pay for a domain name, and, you know, I just wanted something where I could post pictures, people could check them out, and I could update it basically whenever I felt like it. And throughout the years, you know, I've been to been to different people's homes and, you know, taken pictures of their animals and, you know, I, I try to post them. And, and, you know, over the over the years I did this, the one thing, which is, you know, the I did one species a week for 52 weeks. So 52 species over the course of a year. And, you know, it was just a, just a reason for me to post pictures and, you know, I get people looking at pictures of geckos which they may not have ever seen in the past. And, you know, they're, they're all species which are being kept in captivity as well. You know, I, I, I don't really post pictures of, of uh, species in the wild, per se. I mean, I would, but, you know, I don't know. I kind of gauged it more towards species that are, you know, actually out there and that are, have the potential to be cared for in, in captivity. So uh, so why don't you talk talk a little bit about some of the species that you've highlighted. Species I've highlighted? Um, let's see. Now, I, highlighted a, I highlighted a lot of species. Or, um, or if it's easier, why don't you talk about some of the some of the gecko species that um, that you've uh, been breeding and you have experience with? Okay, okay, I could do that. I, uh, like I said, um, I'm big into the the nephrus, the the knobtails. But aside from that, I also, I also do really well with strophurus. Mostly the I work with the two two species in the, in the genus strophurus. The, the ciliaris ciliaris, which I actually, I think I sold you a pair, Tim. I'm not really sure yes. what you did with that, but uh, and also the uh, the tanacata. And Pinacotas are awesome. They're all they're all awesome. That's that that genus is that genus is awesome. You know, they're very they're very hardy. And you said before you like animals which are hardy. I'm mm-hmm. moving towards that. I'm moving in that direction. You know, I, I don't want the species which, you know, look great one day, the next day they're peeled over dead. I I can't, you know, it's too much for me. It's too much stress and although some of those species are beautiful and incredible, you know, I just can't. I just can't deal with it. It's very discouraging. So I'm looking for species which look great, have great personalities, breed well, and are hardy. And that's how I've kind of refined the species that I'm working with right now. And strophiers definitely fall into that. Like the Tanacotta, they just look awesome. You know, they have like a mosaic pattern with the yellow tail. And the ciliaris, ciliaris are, are the spiny-tailed, which, you know, can have 
different variations of patterns and, and black markings and spines and yellow on the tail. And you know they will they can change from like a, from white to like a purplish brown. So that that those are those are some of the uh, those are two of the species that I, I do I do pretty well with. And I also do well with some Pachydacula species as well. I like the I like the web foot geckos for some reason. I, I just like the way that they look. Their eyes are really cool looking. The fact that their feet are, are webbed like ducks is interesting to me. And they're small and, and they're prolific. You know, they can be kept very simply in a rack system, you know, on sand with a few hides. And, mm -hmm. yeah, you know, they, they breed well, they look awesome, and people love them, you know. So they're usually not, usually not too difficult to sell them, which is nice. And usually when I sell geckos, you know, it's basically goes right back into the hobby to buy new ones, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's hobby or addiction? Oh, yeah, there's there's no question that there's some, there's definitely some addictive characteristics going on. <laughs> I've been I've been talking about um about my geckos and and my snakes at least paying for their own food and paying uh you know, by selling the babies, paying for their own the food and the and the electricity that I spend on them, and in 20 years I haven't come close to that. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it's not it's not that easy to do with certain species. You know, and and that's also why I, I've geared towards specific species because yeah, you know, I can't just keep you know, shelling out money to pay for electricity, to pay for food, you know, to pay for enclosures and whatever else the animals need. You know, I, I need to recoup, I need to recoup that. You know, I need to be a yeah. little, at, at minimal a self-sustaining hobby. But, you know, in, in, in the past four or five years, you know, I've, I've, I've definitely, you know, made money off of it, which is nice. But, I've also geared towards the species where I have some of them that are that are money makers and, and you know like like the knobtails and like the strophurus I had mentioned and the pachydactylus. They all you know they all go for um, pretty they're pretty expensive I guess and because of that I can sell a pair for you know a thousand dollars or so and that will cover a bunch of electricity a bunch of food but you know now even I'm, I'm I've switched over to producing all my own feeders, which is saving more money and yeah, you know, it's uh but at the same time that just makes it all uh makes everything a little bit more intricate, you know, more time involved. Why don't you uh why don't you talk about that um how you uh how you reproduce those uh those flies? Well, the flies Basically, the flies, it's, you know, it's almost like a fruit fly culture, but larger. I use, I use half-gallon jars, and the medium is a mixture of, like, wheat bran, soy flour, dehydrated milk, and, let's see, what else? And I think that's, I think that's it. I try to keep it simple. I don't use any meat or 
you know, anything like that, which is going to get crazy, disgusting, even though the medium I use with the powdered milk, it, it, it stinks. But, you know, I don't think there's any way where you can read flies without it smelling incredibly bad. But yeah, that's what I do. I put it in there, I put water, and I put some of the flies in there. And it's not too too difficult, you know. In a few days, some, some larvae emerge. They start feeding on the medium. They grow into maggots, and then, you know, those maggots turn into flies. They, they pupate and turn into flies, so. And what other uh, feeders do you breed? Well, the, the you know the common ones, the simple ones like like mealworms and superworms. I got those going pretty well. Also, I also breed hornworms. I was doing silkworms for a little while, but those are kind of a pain. Uh, you know the roach species, which you know I'm not that big of a fan of roaches so much. And crickets as well. And let's see, what else do I do? And also waxworms. I'll breed waxworms as well. Hey, Ollie, what is it about geckos? Now, we all love reptiles, but there is something special about geckos. What is it about them that you, that you find so appealing? I don't know. I don't know. That's, that's a good question. I, I, I've asked myself the same question. What is it about geckos? I don't know. They're Even compared cute. to other lizards, they're, they're, they're special, I think right? They, yeah, they're special. I think they have, like, a nicer look to them. Like, they're, I think they're more cute, you know. That sounds kind of soft, but they're, <laughs> yeah, they, they look nice. They're pretty, you know, where, where lizards, if you want to compare a gecko to a lizard, a gecko can be cute. You know, you look at it, it's got big, nice eyes, whereas when you look at a lizard, it's like, it almost looks kind of mean, and very primitive. Mm-hmm. Geckos are almost comical in a way when you look at them. You look at them in detail. I love yep. that. They have personalities. They're all smiling. You know, they're very positive. Oh, that's right. Look at this picture. I'm going to post a picture in the chat for you guys. Talk about a smile on this. Look at this gray eye. This is cool. Very nice. Well, Ollie, we're coming to the end of the show, and um, it's been it's been really cool talking with you about these species that most of us just dream about keeping. And uh, what do you see for the future of of your projects? Do you are you looking to get into anything even more rare, or anything else that you're not interested in, that you don't have right now? Oh man, you know there, that's the thing. There's there's so much I want. <laughs> There's so much I want and so little and so little money because and also at the same time, you know, there's species which are unobtainable, which I would like. But in the future, you know, I've I've actually started to keep lizard species, like like we we're just talking about what's the difference between lizards and, and geckos. But I've been starting to keep some lizard species as well and I've I've actually really started to enjoy it. And uh so where am I going to go from there? I don't know. I, I feel like I'm going to keep the focus on these Noltinas. I have a, a few other projects with, with the knobs and all that and, and the spiny-tailed and the strophurus. 
But where I'm going to go from that is, who knows? You know, I guess it all depends on depends on financial situations and what basically catches my eye. And and also in like uh, I don't know, fifteen or twenty years, can you put me on the waiting list for some movies? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, you better start uh, start the payment plan now, there, Dave. Yeah, I can. I will. <laughs> uh, I hope you're really successful, and I'm serious. I hope you 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 get off to a good start and get a nice colony going for real. Thank you, Dave. Yeah, Ali, and why don't you uh, give out your uh, all your um, website information too? All right. Yep. Well. I'm pretty easily accessible. Um, you can either, yeah, check out my blog, which is uh, rawdogreptiles.blogspot.com, or you can hit me up on Facebook. My name is Oliver Cooper. Cooper's actually spelled K-U-E-P-P-E-R. And you know I have all my information on there. If anybody wants to send me an email, my email's on there, or shoot me a call or a text or whatever. You know, I'm, I'm always around. I'm always accessible, so... I put myself nice. out there. Ollie, you don't know when you... You're going to be at the White Plains show, Ollie? On the 7th, <clears> I'll be there. Cool, cool. Ollie, and, and why don't you uh, also just mention where you um, advertise animals when you have animals uh, available. Where do I advertise them? Yes. Yep. Do you want me to actually tell you where I advertise them, or do you want me to tell you that I go to geckoforms.net? <laughs> I don't think uh I don't think our sponsors will be too upset uh for for uh mentioning any other names. So you can okay, go ahead okay. and, and t- I'm just say. making sure I, I wasn't sure whether that was a, a trick question or not. <laughs> no. But no, I you know, I, I advertise on, on Facebook the the rare reptile classifies. You know, um that's a cool resource now that, that you know, that that kind of stuff has started to pop up on Facebook. Also, I go to, you know, Fauna Classified, the classic. And I go to Geckos Unlimited, even though the, you know, the traffic on that site has been, you know, diminishing over the years. I also go to Pangaea Reptile because basically all those are free classifieds. I don't want to pay King Snake, whatever it is, a year to to, uh, to post up classifieds because I don't find it to be necessary. And, and then to just get lost in... Uh the classifieds that are posted the, the same every single day on there. <laughs> it it almost seems like uh, like some of those companies just it's like automated where every day they post up the same exact animal, you know, as the day before. Oh yeah, they definitely do. So, um, any other closing remarks that you have for us tonight, Ollie? No, no, no. It, it's um. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on the on the uh, on the show. It's been uh, it's been a nice experience. So thank you guys. I, I wish you guys all the best in in uh, this endeavor. Well, thank awesome. you so much hey, for coming you. on, and especially uh, on short notice, um, we really appreciate you coming on. You know, it's uh, it's definitely a species that you know. I'm sure there aren't many people listening that are like that were saying all the whole time, "Oh, I knew that about him, and I knew that about him um right you know I'm sure there are a lot of listeners that never even heard of 
Naltinas before uh, before tonight? Well, you know, you can't find them at your local Petco, unfortunately. <laughs> Not yet, right? Not, Not yet, at least. <laughs> I'm looking to change that. Yeah, you know, with the with the way that this hobby goes, it's completely feasible that you know, in in 40 or 50 years from now, that that will be, you know. That will be something that could happen. It definitely could be, you know, it could be, you could have them in Petco, and, you know, they'll probably be labeled as Felsuma Grandis. You know, I could see it. (laughs) (laughs) I, um, you know, I saw, I saw a Woma for sale in a Petco by me, you know, a year or two ago. And if, if you told that to Woma breeders 15 or 20 years ago, they would have said, you're crazy, you know, but, but it's, a fact, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, cool. We're gonna we're gonna wrap things up. Ollie, thanks again for coming in and doing a great show with us. And uh, folks listening, please check out his his blog and his uh, Facebook page. And uh, he's gonna have some cool animals available this season. Um, yeah. And Tim, thanks for being my co-host. Hey, Ollie, we'll let you go, and uh, you're welcome yep. back anytime. Thank you. I'm going to, uh, I'll, I'll be listening to your show, and uh, I will definitely stop by to say hello to you guys on uh, the 7th at White Plains, all right? Thanks well, a lot for coming on, Ollie. It's to see you. Cool, guys. Well, have a good night. Take care. Thanks. You, you too. too. We'll Take talk care. soon. Bye. Bye. All right. What do you think, Tim? I think it was a, it was a great episode. It was nice to have him on. Yeah, it's really refreshing to touch on a species that, you know, I just dream about, you know, and to actually hear someone's actual experiences, I'm kind of like trying to put myself in issues as he's describing everything. And, uh, yeah, it's, you know, it's a nice, nice to dream a little bit. Yeah, it's, um, you know, like I said, I mean, I've, I've been to many, many reptile shows um, and never have seen them uh I think actually, uh, if you remember the old Reptile and Amphibian magazine, um, I don't know mm-hmm. if you ever picked one of those up. It was like a small magazine. Yeah. And, I have um, all of them. Really? Do you remember the Naltinus one then? I'll look through them. I'm sure I have it. Yeah, I'll look through it. Yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty interesting. That was my first exposure to, uh, to seeing them because, you know, back then we didn't have the Internet. And... Um, yep. You know, I, here I am sounding like uh, like an old guy, but uh, I guess I am. <laughs> but um, you know, you, you didn't you didn't just go and Google a species like that. You know, I had no idea that they existed. And then you see them in that magazine, and and you think like, oh yeah, you know, one day maybe this this will be uh, you know popping up at expos near me, but. It it hasn't yet, but I guess uh, yeah, the, uh, seeing them the big, seeing them in Ollie's collection is uh, you know I'm pretty lucky just to uh, experience them that way. Oh, I'm gonna try to wheels on my way over there to see him, even if I gotta pay him. <laughs> I'm gonna try. It's, uh, <laughs> and it's right on your way, uh, on your way home from uh, White Plains. Yeah, exactly. Do you have the uh, the big red reptile encyclopedia book? Um, 
I, I have one. I'm not sure if it's the same one you're, you're talking about, but I, I think so, yeah. Weighs like 10 pounds. You know, it's huge. Yeah, it's called an atlas. The reptile amphibian atlas. Um, let me see. I actually, uh, you know what? I think I just picked it up uh, for free off Craigslist. Oh, my God, really? It's I paid a little, like 100 you know, and some dollars for that book. The cover is a little rough, but, um, yeah, I, I'm just uh, taking it off my bookshelf now. Yeah, that that was the book I used to open and, and look through almost every day and uh, read about different species. And I think I probably read most of that book, actually, because I would read it. I mean, I don't remember it was years ago, but, you know, it's it's reading and researching stuff like that that really gives people, some people, an edge in, in their care of, of species. I mean, yeah, you can Google requirements and stuff, but when you actually take the time to pick up a book and commit yourself to reading for an hour, two hours at a time, I just think you wind up absorbing more uh, information that way. And I don't know. It's kind of cool to have things at your fingertips too today, though. So, but it's yeah. just, uh, it's All right, just folks. very different, you know? Yeah, it's different. Exactly. It's, gonna, it's not that it was be- that it's better now or it was better then. It's just very different. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I'm I'm very happy that I learned the way I learned. When we really had to seek out that information, we had to, you know, write to people, and you know, it, it we earned it. We definitely earned it. So, all right. Well, we're going to wrap things up. Uh, next week we have. Uh, Ray Autry from Rise Against Rattlesnake Roundup. So we're going to talk about the atrocities that go on in some of the states where they do these terrible roundups and how how uh, organizations are now working hard to put an end to that and we're having some successes. So uh, guys, tune in next week and uh, hear about some of these things that go on, this unevolved human behavior that still goes on to this day and uh, what we're doing to stop it. So uh, that should be a good show. And uh, you guys can check out Rise Against Rattlesnake Roundups on YouTube. There's some crazy videos of some insider video of what goes on at these places. But, um, yeah, Tim, thanks again, seriously, for co-hosting, and thank you very much for uh, for getting Ollie to come on the show tonight. I think he was a great guest. And, uh yeah, I look forward to the next time we get to co-host together. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm working on some other uh, guests for us, and uh, hopefully, um, you know, they'll come through, and uh, we'll put together some more good shows and informative stuff for the listeners. Um, before uh, before we close out tonight, um, do you want to just talk a little bit about your uh, your recent auction experience? <laughs> you want to hit me up with that, huh? Um, yeah, I, I, like I told everybody, you know, these auctions are like, uh, it's a new thing on Facebook. Some people hate them. Some people love them. Uh, when they, when I first started seeing them, I didn't like them. And, you know, I, I even, you know, to this day have mixed feelings about it and I've thought about it and I'm like, well, the only way I'm really going to understand what's going on is if I actually do one and see how it actually works and see how I feel about it. So I did my first auction uh, a couple days ago, and it was a gecko that I had posted for $350, and 
Uh, I didn't get anywhere near that, but as far as first-time auction goes, auctions go, I think I did pretty pretty darn good. I think I got $111 for it. But, uh, you know, I've seen other people barely getting $50 for some really nice geckos. And I don't know. I'm actually thinking about doing more and, you know, seeing what happens. And if I do, I'll be, uh, you know, putting some up for, for auction probably tomorrow. And uh, But I don't know. It's, it's touchy because some people don't like it. And uh, I'll be honest with you, I wish... I wish Facebook didn't allow animal auctions. I wish they didn't. And I wish uh, we we all could stick to uh, selling our animals at fair prices and marketing them. But if auctions are going to be the way of the future and, or if auctions are just going to be the, the right now kind of way to, to sell your animals and create excitement, then I think some of us may have to evolve and get with that program. Or, you know, stick with the way, whatever way you want to do it. So, like yeah, I said, I'd just I kinda, like to... Go ahead, Tim. I would just like to add that, you know, my my opinion, I've never done it. Um, I barely sell animals at all, but um, <laughs> I'd just like <laughs> to add that, um, you know, I see it as a form of advertising, and the the value of the animal is not necessarily just in the price that you get paid, you know, that the top bidder bids on it, but also that every single person that bids on it, you know, your your name, your site is being exposed to all, you know, to their friends. And um, it's. I think it's also, you know, there was a time when it was a little bit better than it is now. It's unfortunate with the new way that Facebook is that um, – your reach is not reaching as many people as it, as it once was. You know, I guess they're, you know, since they've become a public company, you know, publicly traded and stuff, that they are, you know, really looking to have more people pay for their advertising. And, um, you know, they're certainly not too worried about the herp industry and hobby um, to notice uh, what we're doing on the on Facebook, but it's uh, they will notice eventually, know, and I think they'll put an end to it, or they'll figure out a way to charge for it. Well, they are, right? char- you know, they do charge for it now. The the problem is, it's something like, you know, uh, you know, a thousand dollars a week or something. I don't I don't remember the exact price that I've heard, but um, it's certainly um, not in your budget. <laughs> Actually, what do you mean a thousand dollars a week for what? Um, the advertising prices. I I can't remember now off the top of my head, but um, they're uh, they're kind of basing their 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 model of the advertisers that they want as being like Mercedes Benz and and really, you know, high end companies like that, they're not really worried about, you know, I'm sure like if you wanted to spend, I'm sure you would want to spend, you know, like 10 bucks a month or something on advertising and they're not gearing it towards a person like you. They're gearing it towards Mercedes Benz. No, no, I understand what you're saying. But what I'm saying is, uh, 
um, you know, people that are auctioning animals or whatever on Facebook aren't aren't really being charged. Facebook isn't really making money on that. Oh, and, correct, correct. But I'm saying right. that if and a I, couple, I think they will whenever away, it was that they changed their the settings, you know, <clears throat> a year <clears throat> ago, it would be, let's say your post would be seen by, you know, 50% of the people that have liked your page, and now it's down to, like, 10% or, or less. Right. Even less, yeah, so, exactly. So I'm the actually, way that they're... I'm deleting likes on my page. I, I don't pay for any advertising anymore. I think that's ridiculous. And I am actually deleting, like, people from Gondwana land or, you know, some, some weird country I've never heard of because... I mean, yeah, it's great that you like my page, but what, what is it going to do for my business? And as far as, uh, you know, it's going to take away from people that are, you know, maybe come customers or, you know, people in America that would, you know, I'd much rather get to see the posts. So, you know, it's become an um, issue like that, too. I think if, you know, if it continues, as, you know, I, I think, Facebook has certainly um, taken a step in the wrong direction by at least for, for the way that um, people in our hobby and industry use Facebook. It's turn, certainly taking a, uh, taking a step in the wrong direction. And I think if it's kind of similar, a, a similar experience for everybody who's on Facebook, I think that just another form of media will, will come along that will, uh, will push it aside just as, you know, just as Facebook pushed aside MySpace, you know? Right. It's only a matter of time. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I'm kind of like just fed up and tired of Facebook. I really am. And, and I don't know, it's just, it's become kind of like a, a drag in a sense. It's like I don't get excited about going on Facebook. I really don't really like it. <laughs> I don't know. This is well. Maybe if you start making a lot of money doing um, gecko auctions on Facebook, you'll uh, you'll change your opinion. <laughs> well, <laughs> I would rather make I would rather make money selling geckos the old-fashioned way, and I'll never stop doing that. In fact, I'm updating my website right now. I'm getting a brand new site put together, and uh, I would much rather sell animals that way than sell them uh, in auctions. And I don't know. I, like I said, folks, I change my opinion about auctions on a daily basis. I may totally get sick of them and never do them again next week. So we'll see. Well, I but, hope uh, that um, you know, you whichever uh, method you you choose, that it's successful for you. And um, thank you. You know, it's it, you you put so much energy and effort into uh, producing awesome leopard geckos. You know, I hope that. Um, other people appreciate that as well, and it's not just, um, you know, finding the cheapest example of a morph, what drives them uh, to a purchase, but also um, appreciating what you do for the whole community. Uh, that's cool. Thank you. I, I hope so, too, and for the most part, I believe my customers definitely feel that way, and uh, or else they wouldn't be my customers. I don't, I don't really uh, sell out and sell high-end animals really cheap. I I try to keep the value as what they're worth and, uh, you know, realize that these animals have taken me years to to uh, selectively breed and, you know, 
and, and even more many years before that, before me, that have been getting them to where they are today. So, um, you know, there are people out there that definitely appreciate that. And, uh, you know, for, for new people and people that don't have a lot of money, there's definitely a class of breeders and geckos for you guys, too, and there's something wrong with that. And, uh, you know, I started out that way. So kind of some of you guys out there will graduate into the finer geckos, as I like to call them, and uh, the finer bloodlines. And then, uh, then it becomes a genetic chess game. A lot of fun. So, yeah. All right, well, maybe we can talk more about it on another uh, show. It's a, definitely a good topic, Jim. And uh, hopefully maybe sometime we'll do a show devoted to you. What do you say? Well, I, I promised you I would. It's just uh, the the when is not um, is not in the near future, unfortunately for you. Why is that? I mean, you, you have time to come on the show as a co-host for a couple of hours. Why can't you, you come on? You know day? what it is? I just kind of, uh, I guess when you first... Um, when you first asked me to, I just kind of had made a promise to myself that I'd kind of get my collection settled um, the way that I've I've wanted it settled, you know, almost my whole life. I've always, uh, you know, I I've, two years ago I, I bought my first house, and prior to that I'd always kind of lived in temporary situations, you know, from actually when I first started keeping reptiles um yeah obviously i live with my parents um but i went to a boarding high school so i I lived at high school and um i actually got special permission at the time i just had a a couple geckos and um i got special permission to keep um my geckos um which technically weren't allowed in the dormitory um but um and i started breeding (laughs) <laughs> I started breeding um, the leopard geckos back then, but every, you know, in June when school was over for the summer, I'd have to move the collection back. And also during long vacations, you know, like Christmas vacation was long. So I'd, I'd constantly be moving my collection to school and, and home, which it wasn't that far away, but just in terms of, you know, always packing it up and moving it was a real pain in the butt. And, um, and obviously like any other herper, uh, you know, the, the addiction really was catching hold at that time. And my collection was growing, um, and growing. And, um, it certainly affected, you know, the success that I had with the, with breeding and, um, and, uh, you know, so then, you know, and then up into college and, and um, my life since my short stint in college that uh, I've just always moved my collection around and around. And now that I have my own house, um, the geckos and my other herps are, are in my uh, family room in the downstairs of my house. But again, it's, um, it's kind of a temporary thing with, where it's not my de- dedicated reptile room. And um, I want to have my collection set up the way that I've always dreamed of for all these years before so I you actually, don't feel worthy. um, Is that what yeah, exactly. But it's not <laughs> only that, but I kind of want to, um, I want them to be set and settled. Cause I, I feel that, you know, I feel that, um, you know, it's, it's time, it. you know, it's definitely yeah. time where, 
I want to uh, have it all set up the way that I'm satisfied with before uh, before I come on and, and do an episode. Okay. All right. Well, get your act together and you let me know when you're ready. I know you, you said trying, you got a projected... And then... And, and on top of that, you know, the bought a house. date of 2017, right? <laughs> I think it was 16, but uh, but maybe maybe we'll push it back to 17. But you know, so I bought a house and had a son at the same time, and um, you know that um that combination has not, as well as um working uh you know like 70 to 80 hours a week, has not made the the proper. Uh, conditions for uh for setting up a, a reptile room mm-hmm. i hear you well you'll get there it just takes time well whenever you're ready you got an open invitation you know that well thank you very much i i greatly appreciate it and um of course i i emailed a, a hopefully a future guest uh earlier today and i think uh you'll be away. very excited um, he's uh, he's actually a geneticist, and I wouldn't bring it up on on the air if I didn't think um, we had a really good chance of uh, him being. So um, awesome! I think that'll be a, a really great show. That's what we need. We need a geneticist to come on and set things straight. Yeah. Cool. All right. All right. Well, we're gonna wrap it up, Tim, and uh, until our next broadcast together. I appreciate everything you've, you've done. Thank you very much. Oh, wait. Actually, I just got a response from him, and he said yes. So um, we didn't set up a date yet, but it's it's Dr. Benson Morell, who is um, a, you know, mainly he works with uh, pythons, but um, his doctorate is in genetics. So it pertains to all species, and, um, you know, he did work in school on stuff like cattle and, and things like that, and it pertains to everything so um so he's interested in doing the show so it's awesome excellent that's great okay cool i'll talk to you then during the week and we'll get him scheduled great have a good night dave all right Tim. take care later bud bye all right folks i'm going to play the outro i'll come back with my closing remarks hang tight got a cool song too for the for the end of the show Gecko Nation Radio is a David Fine Gecko's creation and production. You can visit the show's Facebook page at Gecko Nation Radio. I also have a great family-friendly group on Facebook called Gecko Nation. Apply for membership today. The jazz music you heard tonight was generously donated and created by Jeremy Turgeon of J&D Reptiles. Thank you very much, Jeremy, for the great musical pieces. You can check out Jeremy at J&D Reptiles on YouTube and on Facebook. And a very special thank you to our news anchor, graphic designer, and audio tech, Steve Barker. All the graphics, audio sponsor plugs, and music overlays were assembled by Steve. Check out Steve on YouTube at BC Barker Creations. He has some terrific videos for the herb community with amazing geckos and snakes. Please support the U.S. Herpetocultural Alliance and U.S. ARC. Gecko Nation Radio is proud to support both of these organizations. Please donate to U.S. ARC so that they have the funds needed to legally protect pet owners' rights nationwide. You can donate to the U.S. ARC Legal Defense Fund at www.usarc.org. If you would also like to learn about advocacy 
and how you can take action on a state and local level, please subscribe to the U.S. Herpetocultural Alliance newsletter and blog at www.usherp.org. All right, folks. Uh, my closing remarks are this. Uh, basically a bunch of thank yous. I want to thank all of you out there listening and downloading the show on a weekly basis uh, for making Gecko Nation Radio such a success. You guys are what keeps us going, and uh, I see no end to what we can do with this show. Uh, the website's coming soon, and uh, a lot of great ideas Steve and I have, so uh, we're not going to be running out of steam anytime soon, so expect some, a, lot of, a lot of fun stuff coming up and great interviews, most importantly. Um, we've, since we're going to be, a, we'll be on the air a year in October, or the end of September, I believe. And in that time, we've seen a lot of just great things happen in the community. Uh, and I just see this community getting better. I, I know some days I definitely don't feel as optimistic, but, you know, I think, I think we, can, we can do this, and I think we're going to get to keep herpetoculture, and I think we're going to pull together all of us. So I don't know, folks. Stay positive. I know we can't always do that. It's not always easy. But, uh, you know, we, we will make this whatever it's going to be. And we're going to do that by how we treat each other. We're going to do that with how we present each other and how we present herpetoculture and how we represent it. Okay, so if you're out there online, if you're out there on YouTube, make us look good, okay? Don't make us look like bunch of crazy people. All right, folks. Thanks for doing everything you do for the show. Thanks for listening. I want to go through our sponsors right now and mention them. First and foremost, they've been with us from the very beginning. Even back when I had my first show, which was a complete and utter failure. <laughs> and if I didn't fail at that, I would have never made this one, which is such a huge success. So there's a huge lesson for all you folks out there. Dale's Bearded Dragons has stuck with us from the very beginning. And when the show had just a, just a few listeners, they were there supporting us. They are now one of the biggest reptile suppliers at all of the North, Northeast Expos. Okay, they're transitioning to become a full uh, e-commerce website full of any kind of reptile supply products that you can possibly need. All right, DalesburyTheDragons.com. Uh, Check them out. They're on... Uh, Amazon as well. They're a new supplier of FlexWatt heat tape. Okay, you can still get FlexWatt from Blake Kiros. You can still get FlexWatt. Uh, in Canada, if you're in Canada, uh, Dino Reptiles, okay, is your FlexWatt connection. Okay, he's got the best pricing. His name is Norm. Check out Dino Reptiles in Canada. And, of course, we have the Bean Farm. Okay, best rack manufacturer that uses FlexWatt, Sea Serpents Racks and Hotbox Incubators. Okay, if you guys need incubators or racks with genuine FlexWatt, not the cheap knockoff, go with Sea Serpents. Okay, good stuff. All right, abdragons.com is your source for dubia roaches and FlexWatt. So check out abdragons.com. Use the code GECKO at checkout for 5% off your order. Gecko Boa Reptiles, John Scarborough. Awesome wild types. He's the king of wild types here in the U.S. Amazing uh, just regular gecko, leopard gecko morphs, all kinds of cool white and yellows. Um, 
some some obscure species as well. He's, he's got some Oedora. Check out John Scarborough at geckopoet.com. Wally Kern, Supreme Gecko, is coming up on uh, coming up in a month or so, I believe, on the show as a guest. Amazing micro geckos, day geckos, all kinds of cool species, uh, and he's got supplies and food for them too. So check out SupremeGecko.com. Ohio Gecko Bad also runs geckoforums.net. Check out Ohio Gecko. It's got amazing tangerines, reduced patterned snows, fat tails like the Scarburst, which is his morph, and uh, some cool other uh, morphs. All right, check out Ohio Gecko. And if you're feeding your geckos, you want to feed them the best mealworms, don't you? Well, get your mealworms from Rainbow Mealworms. I'm out years now. Uh, Ron Trumper never ceases to amaze us with his, collect- his, his creations. Uh, check out his Leopard Gecko Pro app. Okay, Leopard Gecko Care app. His book, Leopard Gecko's The Next Generation. There's only a few copies left. Get it from his website. Have him autograph it for you. It's going to be a collector's item. The first book that he made years ago was going for like 500 bucks now. Okay, it's you know if you can get him to autograph it, even better. Get it before there's none left. All right. GiantLeopardGecko.com. Use the code GNR2014 for, I believe, 20 to 25% off any gecko until the end of September. GiantLeopardGecko.com. Just as the name suggests, they got. Keith Kagans, and he's got huge leopard geckos from Ron's Giant Lines. And some really cool cresties and fat tails, too. So check them out, giantleopardgecko.com. And, of course, you are what you eat, folks. If you are getting your high-quality feeders from AB Dragons and Rainbow Mealworms, you're going to want to feed them the best possible food, gut load, right? Well, that is the MS2 Premium Insect Chow, which you can get at Rainbow Mealworms, or you can buy it direct. So check out MS2 Enterprises Premium Chow. And last but not least, in our newest sponsor, Mr. Daryl Burton from Longhorn Geckos. Daryl Burton and Cade, his son, is a father-son team, bringing you the highest quality leopard geckos from the best lines. He's working with some really incredible tangelos, super tangelos, pastel raptors, got the black pearl charcoal project from me, He's got some really cool wild types, such as Anger Manus from John, and uh, just a lot of exciting projects. So check out Longhorn Geckos on Facebook, and his website is coming soon. All right, folks, till next week with Ray Autry of Rise Against Rattlesnake Roundups. Here's a cool song. Take us out, and we will see you guys next week. Take care.